Hello everyone, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. Thanks for joining me on such a special occasion as we get to engage with one of the spiciest two-digit numbers inside of the catalog, and yes, we are now finally on episode 69. And as is appropriate, today's episode is going to be a little different in comparison. I'm finally going to be able to go through and dedicate an entire episode to not necessarily the most common things attributed to the anime nature in terms of hentai, but at least on more of a broad scope of the entire pornographic spectrum that we can see inside and all related to the Japanese mediums. As there's only so much that people can talk about, especially in terms of the hyper-violent and hyper-sexual leading into the 80s and 90s OVA booms, how the transition of pirated content in the 2000s was able to go through and breed an entirely new genre of fans leading through and trying to find something to get the rocks off, and leading into the majority of the hentai studios and the fan-made pornographic material that we now see roaming the internet today. So at least in this case, I'm going to go and give my own unique and personal perspective on how the majority of these pornographic materials have been spread out over the course of the past couple of decades, but focusing on those that are a little more personable to me, which is not necessarily something that should be a little more important. But watching the scope of uh, Western pornographic material as the internet has essentially given everybody the opportunity to view or share or distribute whatever kind of material that they seem fit, that they deem fit for consumption, is just been a real interesting concept that I've been thinking about over the past couple of weeks, and considering that now we have reached the apex of the two-digit numbers, I thought this would have been as good of a time as any to go through and kind of give my own unique spin on things to kind of just see if there's anything else that I could give to the audience on anything new, how the scales have been changing over the past 15 years, and hopefully give a couple of recommendations to kind of see if there's anything that I'll be able to go through and have people either read or watch or enjoy to their own content. But yes, considering that leading into this episode, one of the things my partner and I watched was essentially one of the classic pieces of 80s OVAs that was hyper-violent, hyper-sexual, and essentially opened up everybody's views on what essentially would be able to be consumed, especially in terms of the you know, kind of pornographic material, but especially with how sexual these kinds of OVAs were able to go and the liberties and freedoms that they were able to give to create basically whatever the hell they wanted. And Urotsuki Doji, Legend of the Overfiend, basically as given the basis of the majority of works related to, in this case, Tentacles. And of course, Tentacles has been a pornographic piece inside of Japanese history long before all this has happened, but specifically in terms of the 80s and 90s OVA booms, this was essentially the one that was one of the biggest pieces that ended up coming over to the West and blowing everybody's minds literally and figuratively. As just how far off the deep end that these OVAs were able to go gave more people more than enough of a taste of what they were expecting to come leading into the 90s and as many other distribution companies were able to go through and grab a lot more you know same deal very sexual very violent very open-minded and essentially very chaotic ovas that led up into that entire set across the decades and how that those distribution companies would be leading into the 
ever-growing scope of not only physical distribution, but online distribution as well. So you even had things related to, not necessarily in the same vein as Urutsukidoji, but you also had stuff like Wicked City, you had stuff like Ninja Scroll, a lot of that hyper-violent, hyper-sexual content that was able to go over and pave the way for the majority of the pornographic materials that was going to be coming over the, to the West in the next couple of decades. But leading into that, it was definitely something that I didn't have as much experience with leading into it. Although, whenever you ended up getting into the tube sites that were leading into the 2000s online, that's essentially where I got my first taste, as many other kids growing up in the 2000s did. And so you had umbrella companies like MindGeek buying up all of these individual tube sites, which got their names because they were taking the majority of the source code, ripped directly off of YouTube, and recreating their UI to basically specifically pertain to a set of unique fetishes per website or something that was just trying to be unique inside of the content that it was able to go to. So you had XNXX, you had the X videos, you had the kinks.com, you had not necessarily... Well, Pornhub, I guess, would have also been underneath that umbrella as well as live nudes and port vids. But the majority of those ended up going through and conglomerating underneath the rest of it, but at least they could keep their domains so you would know exactly what you were getting into depending on the tube site that you decided to go to at the time. But leading on to that afterwards, even though those were my initial steps into pornographic material, the first time that I would be able to go through and dive deeply into something related to Japanese media would have been the doujins market. And so doujins, or doujinshi in this case for their full title, they're mainly known as self-published works, and they don't always have to be pornographic in nature through the rest of it. But of course, whenever it comes to stuff being taken over to the West, doujinshi almost always are ones that are related to pornographic material that are always, in this case, a little spicier. So after getting a taste of this stuff from the tube sites that I would be frequenting over towards the end of the 2000s and the early 2010s, I ended up getting into Reddit, for better or worse. And what I realized that Reddit, for not only being a good front page of the internet as it was self-proclaimed, to give you the opportunity to read any specific kind of hobbies or activities or sports that you would like, it is also a very adept tool at indexing and categorizing specific fetishes, porn types, and almost anything other pornographic than you can think of. And in this case, what it pointed me towards initially was doujins. And specifically the ones that I ended up reading initially from as far back as I can remember would probably be the works done by Munashiro and Ratatatat. Now, Munashiro essentially did stuff like um, original apartment works, they also did a lot of works revolving around Oni, and they did a handful of fate spin-off doujins. And so that's kind of the thing about doujins, is that the copyright laws inside of Japan are vastly different inside than they are outside of the country, considering that the basically you can take almost any work from any other piece of fiction, and you don't necessarily need any kind of acceptance or acknowledgement to actually use that property. You could basically just make a fan doujin of almost any work, and the biggest thing is just that, of course, everybody does fan art, everybody does, the, does those sort of things already. For me, what was surprising is that you can actually just go and get paid for the self-published works that you end up doing, considering that even though you're self-publishing the works, those weren't necessarily your own initial property to begin with. So, regardless, Anybody inside of Japan can take pre-existing characters, 
movies, video games, settings, basically anything, and translate them into their own kind of unique works, and then, in this case, also sell them through major comic markets, conventions, basically all these different things. And so you've got individual artists being discovered in anthology magazines, you've got different doujin circles revolving around different artists that essentially come together, <laughs> was the first thing that came to mind, but um, collaborate together to kind of just bounce ideas off of one another, help each other with either illustrations or figuring out ideas for their own original works once they decide to go off and do something more independent without the initial help of relying on a pre-existing product or to essentially have a market that's already interested in seeing pornographic material of those specific characters and worlds. But the majority of the people that I ended up starting to get into when I ended up starting to read Dojins initially where it's like, yeah, sure, I hadn't seen as much anime at the time. So there weren't a lot of pre-existing properties that I was initially invested in to go through. So what shown for me initially were the ones that had a lot of really good original works. And both of them, Munashiro and Ratatatat, were definitely ones that piqued my interest, considering that not only did I really enjoy their style, but they were able to... <laughs> it's, it's incredibly difficult to try and describe what you liked about somebody without relating to style and going through it's like I like this fetish I like the way that they draw their faces I like them because the major the vast majority of the times is that a lot of these works were just done with a degree of quality that you would always find consistent and consistency was always key whenever I would go back to the majority of those in fact most recently Ratatatat ended up doing a lot of uh individual safer work art on your from Spy Family. And so that was something that was incredibly concerning because when I ended up seeing a Ratatatat image being posted on the Maga subreddit, I'm like, whoa, wait a second, hold on. <laughs> I've been looking at this man's art for nearly a decade and this is the first time I've ever seen them draw something wholesome? where she is fully clothed and both her and Anya and Lloyd are just walking through the park and they're all having a fine time and it's like, this is fine? This is actually wholesome? This is it, It's just so weird to see that kind of different perspective on an artist that has been drawing something entirely outside of that. And then, of course, weeks later, you would definitely end up seeing that, yes, they ended up doing not-safe-for-work content with Yor as well. No. <laughs> what a big surprise there. But then there's also individual artists where it's not something that... Because that's the problem. Because of the saturation of the market, it all depends on the artists whose style that you find the most attractive and the most sensual. Considering that there are thousands of artists essentially going through the majority of the doujin circles inside of Japan. And so it's incredibly difficult whenever there are so many works being published today to kind of land on somebody that you not only trust to be consistent, but one that essentially... I lines up with both the style that you enjoy and the fetishes that you attach to it. So I guess two ones in particular where I don't necessarily enjoy their style, but one work in particular are ones that I would wholeheartedly recommend to anybody that's looking to at least get into doujins. One of which in particular is Fue, which I'll leave the names inside of the notes in this case. I'm definitely not good with uh, lining up the majority of the descriptions inside of any of my notes, if at all. But definitely for this one, in this case, I'm going to at least have a good detailed list on those who I do believe that you should go out because I wholeheartedly recommend any of the works that they do. And Fue, in particular, if you ended up going back and listening to or watching the Trash Taste episode where they ended up recommending each other doujins, the one that was universally loved by all three of the guys on the cast was Succubi Supporters, and that is done by this exact artist, where the one major part about their style, which is something that I don't necessarily 
enjoy in particular is definitely the vacuum mouth, and considering that they are exceptionally well versed in drawing blowjob scenes, but for me in particular, it's like, yes, I understand part of it is real and part of it is essentially exaggerating the majority of the features to kind of get the specific effect that you're going for, but the fact that Inside of Succubi Supporters, which I believe had like five chapters or so, you're able to cover such a vast variety of body types, fetishes, scenarios, all of these different things with a degree of quality inside of that work. That was It's something that is such a universally good suggestion to anybody that is trying to get into doujins or looking for something to go for. Like It is, like bar none, one of the easiest and most universally acceptable pieces of work inside of doujins, period. And so I would... On top of recommending that, Hario is also an artist where I do enjoy their style, and very recently they're, they've been coming a lot more into the consistency that I've been looking for, but they still have probably one of my favorite doujins, period, which is Ayane-san from Next Door, and so very consistently they have this not only style which accentuates something that is still incredibly vanilla, but in such a dynamic and orgasmic way to for lack of a better word inside of their works considering that everybody's having a good time the detail and basically the sensuality that they draw the faces of both partners inside of this are just phenomenal that gets you directly into the moment and directly into the headspace of where these characters are coming from they just do a phenomenal job at even though it's something incredibly simple as the scenarios expand and increase as the works go on, considering that at this moment, it's still an ongoing work with only three chapters, but every single time they put out a new chapter for this story, it's honestly phenomenal, considering that the majority of doujins that you'll find will be around anywhere between 15 to 25 pages or so, except whenever Hario ends up putting out a work of theirs, each of their chapters are 50 plus. And so they do a phenomenal job at not only keeping the consistency, but even though they don't have a lot of works coming out every year, you know that it is guaranteed to be a banger whenever that goes through. So, very recently, they're definitely near the top of my list for artists that I'm looking for whenever I go back and check on which doujins have been coming out every week. Now, another one that they ended up having on the Trash Day Posca Addison. So now another person that I don't really know if I should recommend, but a lot of people do know just by name alone, especially since they were also interviewed on the Trash Tape Podcast is Shindo L. You might not know his name, but you definitely might have heard of Metamorphosis if you have been inside the doujin market for any amount of time, because Metamorphosis is just such a... like, it is a work. It's incredibly difficult to kind of describe, because it is an experience, and not a good one, which is odd enough for anybody to just say, oh yeah, no, I would recommend seeing it just for the experiences. Like, I wouldn't I would acknowledge it and see how far you can get, but considering that Shindoel has been doing so many works for so long, especially at the pace and at the vulgarity that he ends up infusing into all of his works, it is definitely no surprise that with the popularity and the notoriety that he's gotten for a lot of his works, but if he just dropped Metamorphosis and then just left it at that, it, he would have made more of a mark on the industry than anybody else would have in their entire careers. And it's just really interesting to see how he's been able to go through in transition, where a lot of the things that he has done is modeled on real life, which honestly is not something that instills a lot of confidence in you, considering that it's just, yes, I like to instill 
the horrific realities of some of the things that I've seen, especially through either Japan or America, and how that translates into a doujin concept and then into a work that I'm able to publish. And met oh, metamorphosis is just something that's so... Like, there's pre- and post-metamorphosis, and you definitely know that you're a different person on both ends of those spectrums. So I really don't necessarily know what else to say about him. It's just that I do believe that... The, for better or worse, he is one of the best artists in the medium period, which is why initially when I read some of his stuff, I was just more inside of the Anakin and Obi-Wan meme, where I just definitely believed that Shindo L was the chosen one. He was supposed to destroy the vulgar and dark and horrific tags that have been thrown inside of the doujinshi medium, not join them. And unfortunately, he thrives inside of those clearly horrific tags that nobody wants to touch, but because it is inside of his work, everybody has the opportunity to go through and view them at least once. Because Metamorphosis was not the first view, uh, work of his that I ended up reading. The first one that I read was the... Minotaur inside of, uh, was it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon? And so I think it was two Minotaurs and two of the smaller girls inside whatever familia. I have not seen the show, so don't necessarily call me on any of those. But still, it's just the, how, not horrific, but the fact that you still are able to find something sensual and something erotic inside such a fucked up scenario that he puts all of the girls in inside of this franchise is just a tantamount to how talented he is as an artist, I guess, which is definitely not something I feel like I should be complimenting, but, god, here we are. Um, I don't know. Besides that, the the other work that, to be fair, I did read and I did enjoy to a certain degree would probably be TSF Monogatari, so if you want something a little less fucked up, then probably go to that one, but regardless, I would not be remiss to make an episode about hentai and doujins without mentioning him at least once, so there you go. But, at least I would want to transition to something a little more positive, considering that ALP, ALP, however I, I need to describe them, they are probably my favorite doujin artists currently inside of the medium. Because they are incredible at what they do specifically. Even though the I think almost all of their works are very vanilla, very one-on-one -on -one with different girls. Mainly in particular, they ended up getting their start on doing college-aged doujins of the Love Live and the Love Live Sunshine characters. And so they did a phenomenal job at making a very small-scale but intimate set of comics revolving around different girls inside of the franchise. Both characters are having a good time, they're both really into it, and they both enjoy the time that they spend together. And so when you see that kind of positivity in vast contrast to a lot of Shindo L's work, it's definitely something that definitely feels... Not only like a much better time, but also something that really gets you, you know, in the moment and in the mood with these characters. So they do a phenomenal job whenever they're adapting any other piece of work. But then outside of that, they've done a really good job transitioning into a good chunk of original works as well. One in particular, which was the Sionji household, which I basically also just called the Kaguya household, ended up coming out in the middle of when Kaguya Season 2 was airing. Or in this case, um, Kaguya Love is War considering how similar this work was in concept and context to the rest of it, considering that it's a big high prep school, the main character is in love with the student council president, he needs to go over to her big lavish mansion so he can drop off a couple of assignments, and he is greeted at the door by a blonde maid. And of course the maid picks it up incredibly quickly that it's like, oh, you want to bang my mistress, you're really in love with my mistress. Well, 
How about I test you? I'm going to see how good you are in bed with me so that I can't necessarily give you over to her until I've essentially gauged and tested you on your sexual prowess. And of course, as most porn plots go, he does an incredibly good job at banging the maid, and then he does an incredibly good job at banging the student council president, and then he does an incredibly good job at doing both. And I don't think I would have given it the time of day other than the fact that it was a phenomenal uh, original work on its own, but with the context of it being in the middle of Kaguya season two was definitely something I didn't really ignore, considering how good of a coincidence it was. But besides that, he's done a lot of good original work since then. He's done a really good um, spiritual exorcist original one-shot, or one-shot three chapters. He's done a really good one-shot in this case on Otaku Sex Friends. He's been phenomenal and just hitting each one out of the park, considering that not only is his style very consistent, well-drawn, and sensual and gets you in the moment, but the fact that they can now go and create any other scenario outside of ones that are not restricted by using specific characters inside of other properties is definitely a good piece to know that they found their own flow and their own pace, and I can't wait to see what they have in store for next. And now leading into another section of at least the doujin circle um the last one i would at least like to recommend is basically almost every doujin artist's dream come true considering that nori five row is an artist who's basically only known for one major piece which is imaizamine or the gals gather around imaizamine just at least for the longer full title because they probably have the best outcome for any original work for any kind of doujin artists that you would find inside of that medium, considering that not only is it very well drawn, and even though it's a harem show, which kind of... The one awkward thing I have about doujin harems and then just doujin stuff in general is that the only awkward thing about doujins... For doujins outside of original works, whenever they try to do something new, even though they're working with an existing property, they try to stand themselves out by really altering the proportions of the characters inside of the work that they're already adapting. So if you give so if you turn somebody from a flat-chested young woman into an adult that's basically got double G's, it's like what essentially are you doing? I get it. You're trying to put your own unique spin on things, but it doesn't necessarily work when it immediately throws people off the bat whenever they look on the front cover of your own work considering that with the amount of doujins that come out daily you have to judge a book by its cover outside of any names that you would recognize because that is going to be the first image that you have of not only the characters that you're adapting but the style as well and if you fail on one of those fronts it's going to be incredibly difficult for anybody to go through and read your works so proportions are out of the way first and then second i don't know harem's as a tag, are definitely not something that I've been too invested in. It, it seems like an interesting idea, and it's something that a lot of people value, but for me in particular, it's not really something that piques my interest. Although, for Imaizumine in particular, this one is definitely phenomenal in the sense that it just is the smallest harem you can get, where it's like, sure, foursome is a term, but I normally use foursome whenever it's like two male, two female, so you can basically swap the majority of that stuff, but when you have a legitimate harem here with one man and three women and everybody's invested and everybody loves each other and everybody is trying to get their rocks off as often as possible, you're already on to, off to a good start. But then to add on to it, the fact that not only does your 
doujin become extremely successful, then it also gets adapted into a hentai, and then you're able to publish with a legitimate publisher inside, so it no longer becomes a doujin self-published work. You can legitimately have a publisher get you to do a safe-for-work version of your original not-safe-for-work property, and then have the opportunity to use that publisher's distribution network to sell that en masse. Like, that is... That is peak. Like, that is the dream, I would imagine, for a good chunk of people that are going to try and create their own works. And Nori 5 Row, for not having any major works prior, has definitely hit the jackpot with the series. And so, they're probably going to still... They're still doing the original Not Safe for Work doujins. They put out, like, one of those a year. But the good thing about it is that, like all good... good long-running classic doujins, each one of their chapters is like 80 to 90 pages long. And so they do an exceptional job for that case. And then monthly, they can go through and do the mostly safer work version. Which, to be fair, is honestly a pretty good read in of itself. So yeah, I'm definitely glad that Nori 5 Row is living the dream at this point, because in comparison to him, not necessarily something that you would put in the same vein, but there are a lot of mangaka that either start out as doujin artists or they start with manga and then they make doujins of their own favorite characters. It's kind of like something that swaps back and forth. I mean, Shiro Masamune, mangaka and creator of Ghost in the Shell, they, before and after Ghost in the Shell, they were doing pornographic doujin works consistently and already at that high quality, regardless of the success of that major franchise. Um, you also had Kota Hirano, who was the mangaka behind Helsing, ended up doing spin-off manga and then pornographic doujin works of their own stuff. The mangaka of High School DxD, which was really interesting considering that High School DxD, when I was getting into anime, was the first time I had seen quote-unquote anime uncensored. I had seen flashes of hentai that were going through not only the tube sites but Pornhub as well, but outside of that, High School DxD was probably the first one in general where I ended up getting to see, you know, an anime that was also attributed to a lot of sexual qualities inside of that genre. But of course, the mangaka behind DxD was a part of a doujin circle called Inazuma, which I've also, in that case, have done a lot of doujins on their own, and some, a few that I've even read. Along with that, the mangaka behind Dr. Stone ended up, same deal, doing a lot of doujin and pornographic works before he ended up hitting big as a shonen jump mangaka. And the one that people mostly associate with pornographic content as well, considering that it is very it is very ingrained inside of its DNA regardless, was the illustrator behind Shokugeki no Soma, considering that anybody reading the manga or watching the anime and then trying to figure out the genesis as to why it is so goddamn sexual wouldn't necessarily be surprised that Shun Saiki, who was the illustrator for that, was doing his own doujins way before he was able to go and find success in illustrating Shokugeki no Soma, considering that some of the works that he did would revolve around Renai Sodan and, more notably, Harem Time. So, as you can see through this case, Manga and doujinshi definitely go hand-in-hand, hand because of course it's like, oh yeah, well they're both comics drawn, it's just that some are pornographic and some are, like, major mainstream and the ones that you actually go through and accept the medium. But it is nice to at least know the through lines between the two, just to kind of see how the majority of those translate, and seeing how one success can mirror another. But now, transitioning off of that from 2D comics to 2D animation, was when I finally ended up finding specific tube sites for, of course, hentai. Now, hentai, in particular, was also something that was on 
previous tomb sites whenever I was going through and scrolling through them in the late 2000s and early 10s, and you would still see hentai on there basically almost everywhere, because anything related to tentacles would most likely be done to hentai. Anything that had, like, a live-action Japanese would then recommend you Japanese 2D stuff in related to hentai. But at some point, I had to do a full dive in, which, after getting into doujins, this was definitely the next natural transition forward. And so scrolling through the vast index of a lot of these works, of course, I would not be remiss to mention at least some of the original ones that went through, especially when it comes to studios, and I guess a good starting point would definitely be Pink Pineapple, since they ended up being founded in 91, and very recently, the ones that you would kind of recognize underneath their umbrella would be something like Bakuan, Masterpiece, Kaide to Suzu, which was done by one of the doujin artists that I ended up pointing out before, and Rants. But they had been doing it long before any of us would have been able to imagine, considering that they had still been doing the majority of erotic and pornographic OVA works way back in the 90s. So they've been at this for quite a while, and so like any other industry, they've seen the transition from going into cel-shaded to digipaint to fully digital productions, and they're probably one of the only studios that have been, or at least one of the own pornographic studios that have essentially been able to transition through every major stage of the technology spectrum and not really skip a beat. Of course, there's always growing pains like any other industry, but the fact that Pink Pineapple was able to make phenomenally erotic works back in the 90s and they're still making phenomenally erotic works in the 2020s is definitely something that's tantamount to whoever is running the ship. Since if you can be making pornographic material for over 30 years and not skip a beat, honestly, props to you, man. It's just that nowadays, Pink Pineapple is very much like MindGeek in the sense that instead of having several tube sites underneath your umbrella to have a variety of different fetishes and platforms for you to use, Pink Pineapple is now basically an umbrella studio that has a lot of sub-studios that still makes a handful of different works, whether they're original or whether they're adaptations. And so nowadays, they are still a part of that conglomerate where they're able to put out at least one work a month, but at least through the majority of that, they've been able to transition very well and still consistently make high-quality porn in the digital age. Something that can't be said for Queen Bee, since Queen Bee was essentially founded back in 2011, and they have been the butt of the joke for every single adaptation and production that they've been able to go through. I know people that still enjoy it. They still like Queen Bee because in a vacuum, or in this case, stills, they look good. Their, their design at Queen Bee and their character designs and their setups and their backgrounds, the production looks nice. The problem is that they are in a animated medium. And so whenever these images move, you can't help but laugh at the majority of the ways that these guys are able to go through and adapt some of their works, which has basically just been making them this poster child for bad animation inside of porn, which is not necessarily something that you would expect good quality from, but considering that studios that I'm going to be talking about later can prove, you need to be better in order to consistently sell your product in a competitive market. But regardless, Queen Bee has done a lot of succubi works, they've done Ani Bitch, they've done a lot of works done by the doujinshi artist Mizuru UK. So they've got quite a deep catalog, it's just that I can't necessarily say that anything inside of their catalog is very quality, and nothing that I could recommend in there to anybody that is looking for a good couple of works to have a pleasant night with. 
although one studio that I can recommend beyond a shadow of a doubt that has always been consistent with their quality ever since they debuted in 2016 would be Bunny Walker. And Bunny Walker is just one of those that it's the same deal. They've got good production, they've got good stills, and they have a solid background to work with. But to top it all off, in motion, it's even hotter. They are currently the best hentai studio in the market, period. They've done a phenomenal job at not only doing original works, but whenever they have the opportunity to adapt any kind of doujin, specifically in this case, uh, gals gather around in Mizamine, it's... Like, it's just a match made in heaven. It is very rare, considering that the majority of the time, whenever you go through, you see a adaptation of one of your favorite doujins, and that's done by Queen Bee, and you immediately go flaccid, and nothing's going to help you through this, because now your entire day is ruined. Uh, I mean, not... at least for a moment. But the fact that you're able to go through, and you see a title that you recognize, and then you, rec and then you see that their style is being emulated by Bunny Walker, you know you're going to be having a good time. I mean, it's phenomenal how they've been able to go through and adapt the majority of the works underneath, say, Simon Seishido, which is a favorite of mine, Imaizamine, which I already referenced earlier, and then, for better or worse, if you, once again, same deal, the most recent Trash Taste podcast when they talked about Cursed Hentai, they were the ones that ended up adapting Mizuru K-Land, which was, of course, the pornographic theme park. So, the content itself was very depressing, although what every single guy on the cast universally thought that it looked good, for better or worse. And that is something that is always consistent with Bunny Walker, and that is their quality. So the same deal that you can go through artists on doujins to kind of find consistency whenever they're making all of their works, it's the same thing that I can promise you whenever you see a work that is done by Bunny Walker, and that is consistency in their quality regardless of what they decide to adapt. And so at least at that point, I can guarantee that if you're looking for something new to watch, go through anything of Bunny Walker's catalog over the past seven years, and I can guarantee that you will find something that you will greatly enjoy. But then I guess something to point out, particularly before I sign off on hentai in particular, is always something that comes up very consistently, and that is the censorship. And of course, everybody always, you know, rats and shits on Japan's censorship laws because it's like, you can make the most fucked up scenarios inside a porn period, but you legitimately cannot show any kind of genital area around either a guy or a gal, regardless of the fucked up scenarios that are happening around them. And it's just kind of like really interesting to see how they translate that not only into 2D porn, but into their IRL stuff as well, which is definitely weird, but at least through... What I can tell is that the majority of censorship laws have been in place for quite a few decades now, especially when it comes to Japan. The one major thing, which is one of the reasons why Urotsuki Doji ended up gaining such popularity as it was, is that they were able to go through and be the inspiration for tentacle porn. And they were thinking, hold on, wait a minute, we can get past the censors with this, considering that they are appendages and they are not specifically genital areas, so... That takes care of the majority of the censorship that we do. And so one of the reasons also why you see a lot of uncensored content in the 80s and 90s OVAs, as well as some of the stuff in the 2000s, but not all, essentially what they do is that the master, or one of the copies that they do and distribute for all hentai inside of Japan has to be censored underneath their domestic laws. Although, whenever they go and distribute stuff like let's just say Bible Black, which unfortunately was not a work that I ended up jumping through and enjoying too much because 
I didn't, I wasn't, uh, like, online or essentially looking for it whenever Bible Black was at its peak, which I believe was around 2001 to 2006. But the reason why you see a lot of uncensored stuff inside the 90s and the 2000s was that whenever a hentai was distributed internationally inside of a country that didn't have the same censorship laws, it would be totally uncensored. And so the vast majority of physical copies of porn, whenever they were at their peaks inside the late 90s, in the 2000s, but then as the physical media market, especially when it came to porn, started transitioning from physical CDs and DVDs over to digital distribution and hentai, they didn't really have a way to legally distribute it because, say, they're still airing all of these modern hentai from a Japanese server, it is still technically being distributed inside of Japan. So 95% of hentai nowadays, unfortunately, is just uncensored. You can find a miracle in this case, like a needle in a haystack, and find like one modern hentai in a while that is uncensored, but that's only because they have an international distribution chain, and so somebody is able to get their hands on an uncensored version of the content that was able to make it to their doors, and then distribute it online afterwards. And so the only reason why that you see the majority of these uncensored ones are, say, you know, Blu-ray discs and versions of incredibly raunchy shows that I guess aren't necessarily hentai, but they're, like, very, very closely scaring the line. Unfortunately, Redo of Healer is the first one that comes to mind, but then also, more recently, Isekai Make You to Harem. These ones have international distributions, considering that they're not necessarily hentai, but it is so close that you can't believe it's not hentai. But those are the ones that are coming out nowadays since, like, either that, or Shumatsu no Harem, or definitely a recommendation that I would still want anybody to watch, regardless if it's hentai or not, uh, Ishizoku Reviewers. <laughs> Go and give that a shot. The vast majority of the stuff that's coming out is uncensored, considering that none of them are distributing physical copies internationally anymore. Especially more recently, considering that right stuff ended up getting acquired and they are no longer for a good chunk of time, and for a good chunk of time, they weren't able to sell anything 18+. Which is definitely unfortunate, considering that, <laughs> regardless... 9 times out of 10, hell, 99 times out of 100, I do think that uncensored is definitely better than censored. But regardless, the majority of that comes down to the style and how well the studio can adapt those specific works into animation. And so I can definitely recommend looking at a lot of Pink Pineapple's most recent stuff since they still have the opportunity to make good stuff every once in a while because they're just a umbrella conglomerating the most of it. But still, go give Bunny Walker a shot. So, as Reddit does, it consistently goes through and has the opportunity to recommend you and push you into a different direction that you wouldn't necessarily have gone through inside of its index of ever-expanding pornographic material. And the majority of the time, it was pointing me towards a lot of stuff that was happening on Pornhub. More specifically, the Overwatch boom. So back when it came out in 2016, even before the main game came out in May, there were already a good chunk of artists making 2D, 3D porn, just basically everything revolving around it, and this was before the game's official release. And so that was one of the main reasons why a lot of people ended up seeing, like, a good chunk, and especially why Overwatch was basically one of the top, if not the top, searched category whenever you were looking up something on Pornhub. And 
Blizzard themselves tried to ask fans to say, hey, um, you know what, could you please stop making pornographic material these characters because the game's not even out yet and this really is going to be hurting our image considering that um, whenever somebody's going to be looking up things to look at at Overwatch, it's going to be popping up to porn half the time and can we please not do that, which of course... If you tell the internet to not do something, the Barbara Streisand effect, it's like more stuff is just going to be coming out anyways. And so there was just a huge influx of 3D, 2D, just any kind of porn that you can imagine revolving around Overwatch characters. And so that was basically me transitioning into another pornographic phase at this point, which was 3D animated porn. And so a lot of this stuff was done by either Valve's Source Filmmaker or done by Blender, where you could use something like SmutBase to go through and already have a model ready to go for you to basically rig and interact with to make whatever scenario and scene that you wanted. And so not only did a lot of porn come out before Overwatch is released, somebody inside of Blizzard leaked the actual in-game models to the internet as open source content that anybody could use to then accelerate the process and make even more porn when it was coming out. So the fact that you didn't, because of course you have to construct a model to use in Blender or at least have something for you to rig inside of source. So the fact that somebody already gave you the tools to do that was just, oh, it just opened the floodgates. Everybody was making it and it was easily like one of the most popular like porn categories in the world period. Although it was really interesting looking at Pornhub inside of 2016, considering that around that time, it was still not as much of a corporation and not as a conglomerate. So kind of like early YouTube, because Pornhub unfortunately had a lot of content that was basically just straight up pirated. And a lot of things that you couldn't necessarily find on other streaming sites. So, I mean, like an example for me was that I was browsing Pornhub one night and it came across, you know, oh, this couple is doing BDSM stuff in the bedroom. And it's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Huh, that dude looks very familiar. In fact, he looks a lot like Ryan Reynolds. That is Ryan Reynolds. They just basically started the video with the scene of him and his girlfriend just like raw-dogging on International Women's Day. And then I look at the time, and the video is an hour and 50 minutes long. And I'm like... Did this dude really just upload the entirety of the Deadpool movie on Pornhub? And lo and behold, they did. So instead of having a night by myself with some spicy material, I just watched the entire Deadpool movie again. So at the time, I found it hilarious, but in hindsight, yeah, it was something had to be moderated in order to take, to not have the majority of that content run wild and have it be like the next youtube which honestly was good because if we were going back to the days of watching episodes of naruto parts one two and three with spanish subtitles it was just interesting to see how that would translate into the middle of the 2010s which didn't necessarily last too long considering that there was a huge ex exodus of content and creators off of pornhub considering that they did erase a lot of things where basically if you weren't verified by the end of a window, then Pornhub would basically delete uh, your channel. And so that was the first exodus that ended up happening. And then 2020 happened where they basically erased every single backlog of every single channel that wasn't verified. So that would be, that would make sure that only verified channels and only their libraries were gone through, considering that. Sorry, the first time that they did the Exodus, you couldn't upload again until you were verified. So, they still had the backlogs of the videos that were still made, it's just that no content from those same creators were being made. And a lot of creators ended up leaving the website 
because of that. The first one that I remember in particular would have been Scudbutt, which to me has one of the classic, I guess, 3D porn videos that is definitely in my back catalog that I come back to every now and again, which is Mary the Succubus. And so they did a phenomenal job at taking, which was essentially another IP that was on the internet, which was, if you ever see a tiny red succubus with black tinted horns, and I would say her most common picture is her inside of a Canada sweatshirt, but then of course it's the age-old bit where it's just like, huh, I can cover the size of Canada and make anal, haha. Um, so they're the ones that ended up creating a 3D... Uh, porn version of that character and it is still to this day like one of the best things that I can like recommend whenever anybody is looking for something to get into the realm of either source or blender porn it's got five parts it's got everything from orgy to threesome to vanilla to masturbation to like every kind of tag that you could think of it's basically there and done to a real high degree of quality which makes it incredibly easy to recommend Outside of that, one of the creators that I ended up seeing take the op ops or another approach, which in this case, they already had a separate platform to use because they just made their own website, which in this case is the Big Green or inside of their website, the World of Vira. So Green basically has been doing, you know, alternative works inside of their medium, and they've done a really good job going through and creating their own platform and basically their own personal portal to go through and have people experience it. Because when I think about the portals, Newgrounds is still running today. It's just that you need an account specifically to go through and see any of the adult content that they still do out. Because back in the days when Newgrounds was created, it was still the wild world of the West and you would still see a lot of pornographic 2D material put up on that website in the mid-2000s. And so you initially saw characters such as Zone Tan, and you also ended up seeing Wolf Girl Liru, which both translated into their own different genres of either entertainment or pornographic content or both. Which in this case, it's not necessarily a hentai studio, but if you're looking for a really good 3D animated uh, pornographic piece that's coming out of Japan, then Wolf Girl Liru with you, or in this case with the most recent DLC that they ended up putting out, which was Full Moon. That is a phenomenal piece of, well, pornographic entertainment, which can you can take however which way you want. But then you also ended up having creators like Zontan basically transition into safer work content on YouTube, but then also still keep something behind either a Patreon lock or something that was able to go through inside the R18 section and continue to create content to this day. But at least back to Big Green, they've done a plethora of works with a lot of good ideas, especially when it comes to their style as well, and how well they're able to integrate their own characters and their own world into whatever other adaptations that they like to do, considering that they have a handful of League characters that they've introduced into the mix, but the vast majority of characters that they use are all unique and all personal IPs that they've created themselves. And so I would definitely recommend that if you're looking for anything in particular revolving around tentacles, werewolves, or dragons, so a little bit outside of the standard comfort zone, then just go and check out the world of Vira inside of Big Green's wheelhouse. And so now, for better or worse, probably my favorite 3D artist to date that is still making content today, all they do is Genshin. So, for better or worse, whether that is a turn on or a turn off, VC Neko has been doing nothing but Genshin content for the past four years, but 
I can definitely guarantee that they are exceptional at every single piece of animation that they do. To top it all off, they cover a variety of tags in terms of they do a lot of good one-on-ones, they do a lot of lesbian, a lot of bi, a lot of gang stuff, and then in particular, they are probably the best creator, studio, just anything revolving around the set of tentacles to date. They are the tentacle creators. They are the tentacle masters of the current medium. They are the tentacle masters of the modern day. And so if you are specifically looking for those kinds of tags, especially considering that everything that I've said about Big Green, about Scudboat, about BC Neko, considering that the majority of this content is uh, Western-based, they don't have to worry about censorship revolving around anything in that matter. So if it's just, if you've been in the mood for looking anything that is relating around tentacles and something that, so uncensored in particular that you haven't necessarily seen in over a decade, perfect. So if you're looking for modern day tentacles that are uncensored, which is honestly something that we haven't necessarily seen in over 15 years, then I would definitely point you in the direction of BC Neko. Since not only can they do gentle scenes whenever it's just either solo or cuddling, they can also go onto the farthest depths of depravity. So definitely recommend giving them a watch. Oh my god, I just read something that it took. Oh my god, it, it didn't even last a week. Sorry, before I finish off this with a little bit of a poire into Western comics, I did end up reading that. It took... Overwatch 2, less than a week to have somebody leak their new character models. That is just precious. Oh my god. You just cannot stop them. People will be horny. And there is absolutely nothing that you can do to essentially like go through and not have any of those models get leaked in the end. People will always find a way. So now, after covering doujins and 2D and 3D animations from the East Coast, and then jumping back over to the Western Shores to enjoy some 3D animation from that's a little more closer to home, now I guess I thought I might as well finish it off and come full circle with a couple of 2D artistry that's essentially come over from something a little place... I guess it's time to end with a couple of illustrations that are a little more local. Since the last piece that I was basically going through and looking forward after browsing through Pornhub, then browsing through 3D animations, and then going through a lot of the Western-born styles and pornographic pieces that I was able to see, now the only thing that I wasn't necessarily able to cover until very recently was jumping into the scene of 2D commissions and comics that are a little closer to home on the Western shores that are a little closer to home with a little bit more of a cartoony pornographic flair. Um, considering that there's a, been a lot of commissions and especially a lot of support whenever it comes to 3D and 2D pornographic artists, especially over around the West Coast, because we actually have a couple of ways to go through and directly support the people that make a lot of these animations and make a lot of these comics and commissions as well. Since all three of the artists that I ended up leaning up above, especially when it comes to have the high quality of animation, all of them have Patreons and all of them have ways for people to go and support the art that they love in more ways than one. That also goes for all the people that, that are still just a bit of a handful in terms of people that I actually have down on the list. Because 
there are quite a few styles and quite a few people that have been able to go through and make a decent living off of actually being able to make all this content either on their own or through a lot of collaborative processes. But at the very end of the day, being able to come back and see how far the majority of these have come over the past couple of decades, especially with how the art has been able to evolve and make it a lot more internalized and local, and having anybody being able to pick this up is honestly a great outlet for a lot of people through various communities. Although most of them are free. If there's anything that I can guarantee is that if you want any kind of infrastructure or project funded by any group of people across the planet, go to furries because somehow they are the ones that have the most disposable income out of any of these pornographic fandoms that I have ever seen. Of course, a lot of them need suits, so it definitely makes sense that they need a little bit of capital in order to make the initial investment on something of that caliber, but considering the amount of content that essentially comes out of any pornographic material or genre, it's, there, there's definitely a lot of anthro and there is a lot of furry which was something that i wasn't necessarily expecting leading into it although i've kind of become to accept at this point although besides those ones that have been able to go through and take a lot of inspiration from either video games or different kinds of anime pinups or have their own opportunities to make original comics themselves i guess the first one i can definitely point to is the other half considering that they've done uh, one of their major works, Scrawled, has been an original work that they've been making for years and years at this point. But they still do pinups and other comics based on separate video games and a couple of shows that have definitely piqued their interest or in some cases were very popular at the time. Since those are the ways that they're able to do kind of like a monthly thing to make sure their content is consistent and they're always making something new. Outside of them, though, probably Strong Banna is definitely something that I can go back to consistently. The only thing with them is that it does take quite a while for them to go through and create new projects considering they just seem like they've got so much going on at once they've got various commissions that they've got lined up they have monthly stipends they make incredibly well-drawn comics but it definitely takes quite a while for them to be completed understandably considering the amount of different things that they're juggling all at one point but there's definitely no way for me to cover every single fandom in that case in terms of the amount of different pornographic content that is being made in any genre or any medium at one given point. So I'm really hoping that, you know, by the end of this, I feel like I've covered enough, but still left more than enough open to lead myself into another opportunity somewhere far down the road to at least have the opportunity to go through with a couple of doujins or hentai or animation comics or basically anything that would be able to fly my fancy although the last person i guess i would at least want to mention before the end of it is probably my favorite western um comic artist to this point which is kinky mation and so they've been doing quite a bit of work especially whenever it comes to how well they've been able to schedule both their patreon releases and what they've been able to do with side projects considering that they've got a side option where it's just they took the concept of Smasher Pass with Pokemon and they're making a humanoid anthropomorphic version of they're going to try at some point to fill out the entire Pokedex and they're doing a good job because I'm pretty sure they're over 100 at this point but that's definitely a good opportunity for them to flex their creative muscles and give them more than enough of a backlog for them to consume any kinds of character models or ideas to keep uh, you know them well at work to get that project finished. And so they take a lot of inspiration and do a lot of comics on separate video games. Uh, Fire Emblem is definitely one that's been very consistent with them. They've been doing a lot of Genshin 
people as of late. But the one that normally makes people come back to a lot of their content, and it's definitely the reason why I found them in the first place, is because they are very adept at drawing Persona 5. And considering how expansive Persona 5's character list is, they've got a plethora of ideas and scenarios and groups of different people that, you know, would be interested with getting their rocks off with each other. Especially with the harem, not necessarily the harem-like aspect, but especially with the idea of most of the Persona games being a choose-your-own-partner sort of deal, especially same deal. They're one of the only people that I know that do very good in terms of using or utilizing the Fire Emblem cast. And it's the same deal with Fire Emblem. You've got a plethora of waifus and husbandos to essentially take inspiration from and incorporate into the majority of your works, regardless of the kind of content that you want to create. And especially, I wouldn't be surprised that at some point they're going to be able to use the newfound popularity with the Fire Emblem franchise of Fire Emblem Gage to at least make content on lesser known characters, but those that have become major lords and major characters in the most recent game. Mm -hmm. I honestly couldn't tell you, considering that, uh, you know, I'm still waiting to uh, jump into the game. I know that Fire Emblem Gage is definitely one of those where, considering I'm a longtime fan, if I start playing that game, like that's it. That's mostly all I'm going to be focusing on with all the spare time that I've got in between. So even though I know you could, based on the amount of time that I spent in Fire Emblem Three Houses, I would not be surprised that you could get like at least 100 hours and still find more stuff to do inside of Engage, especially with the character roster that they've been going through. And considering that they're going to be doing waves of DLC and content and passes and all the like to essentially go through since they've got the entire roster across 30 years of gaming to work from. But not only will they be able to use that for different passes, there are going to be more than enough artists out in the West to have the opportunity to use that newfound popularity to make, you know, more savory content, I guess you can probably say, uh, leading into the future. But I'm glad that you ended up sticking around with me for this long. This was definitely an episode that I was curious about what I was going to be talking about over the past couple of months because I knew the magical number was going to be coming up at some point. And I'm really glad to see that I was able to at least go through and have the opportunity to catalog some of the content that I've been able to go through and read over the past number of years to at least get that out and hopefully give the opportunity for a lot of people to walk away from this to have some recommendations and just have the opportunity to go through because this kind of market is definitely flourishing inside of this where it's just even with the expanse of AI art and so I'm definitely glad that this kind of market is still flourishing because of course it is. every pornographic industry is going to be flourishing prob not probably to the end of time but so I'm kind of glad that regardless of where you go or what corner of the internet that you're able to go through you will never have to look too far to spruce up the days and nights, whether alone or with somebody that, that can enjoy them with you. So, cheers. Appreciate it. Have a good one.